God is good all the time. Turn off your phones. I got to turn mine off before I forget. There we are. Awesome. Good to see you. Happy, happy, happy Halloween to all of you. No one dressed up. No one dressed. The, the, have they got their ears on? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Uh, wherever you are joining us today, welcome to you. It is Halloween here. And uh, chilly. It's a chilly one out there. The kids will be bundled up tonight as they're walking around. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon this group this afternoon. That as we read your word, meditate on its meaning for us today. That we just pray that your Holy Spirit blesses us. So that we might walk out of here refreshed with your spirit, refreshed with your love. Our thoughts and uh, prayers are with those who need a little bit more TLC this morning, this afternoon. And we just pray that this Halloween not be scary, but be merry. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, any volunteers to teach today? If you, if you snuck ahead and kind of caught the topic of a... Uh, all right, I guess, I guess we'll jump in. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11 is where we are. Uh, let's do verse. We're going to kind of do a big chunk here. Let's do verses 1 through, I'll break that up, 1 through 12. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Praise and pray, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought, to, ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman but woman from man. Neither was man created for women, but women for men. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the, Lord's, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. All right. Any questions before we move on? Ah. <laughs> what? What? Ooh. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit. It'll be on the YouTubes forever. Uh, follow my example. Maybe your Bible says imitate me. Um, Paul knew he followed Jesus, so he did not hesitate to tell the Corinthian Christians 
uh, to imitate his walk with the Lord. Uh, he simply did what he told his uh, young associate Timothy to do in First Timothy. Uh, he tells Timothy, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you could follow the, uh, the example of all your religious leaders? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a world to live in? Yeah. Um, I praise you, brethren, for remembering me and keeping the traditions. Uh, it comes, it, it, it's actually a sarcastic line, uh, the way it reads in Greek. In fact, they did not remember Paul in all things. They disregarded him as they saw fit, and they did not keep the traditions as they should have, uh, at least in that time and place. Um, traditions. It can be a scary phrase for, for many Christians. One of, one of the things I tell my wedding couples, one of the great things about weddings are traditions. One of the horrible things about weddings, traditions. Uh, just for fun, give me, give me a wedding tradition. If you're going to have a wedding, what, what has to be there? The brides, it's always nice to have a, uh, the couple there, right? Yeah. Got to have cake. Got to have the rings. Flowers, got to have flowers. <gasps> something old, something new, something used, borrowed, something blue. My wife had blue underwear. That's what she had. Light blue, but blue. I know. But she also had, guess what she had in her shoe? Penny. No one does that anymore. Uh, it's not there. 20, 26 years of doing weddings, every time there's a ring. I've never done a wedding without a ring. But all the other traditions have are, are, are topsy-turvy. Bride doesn't always wear white nowadays. I was just going to say, I wonder why kids this day and age, young people, don't want to do tradition anymore. You know, tradition was so important to us. We tried to do the right thing, do what our parents did. And, and now they just don't, they don't, um, I'm thinking even holidays and things like that. It doesn't seem, I know it's a uh, global world and the kids live far away sometimes. But um, they don't seem to need that closeness of family anymore. Yeah. I'm not talking about my own family. I'm just talking about other people that I know that... Um, have awful um, holidays, sad holidays, because their kids don't seem to to care. And I think old tradition is wonderful, and I wish it could come back again to some of these young kids. Something needs to be important to them. That's that's the yeah that that's the key th phrase for me anyway. Is what's Im what's important to you? And I tell the wedding couples, do what's important to you. Stephanie, she did the bridal. Or she uh, flung the. The bouquet. What's what's the uh, what's the tradition for the guy? Yeah, my wife said there is no way <laughs> that we're going to do that garter. The, the last thing she wants was her uncles uh, to see me try to go after that thing. So we we just we didn't do the garter thing. Uh, for a toast, we we did a toast. I don't drink. Never fifty years. I've never had a drop of alcohol. Uh, but the DJ's like, "It's time for the toast. Here's your champagne." Like, I'm not drinking. He goes, "You have to. It's your wedding." Like, we're we're paying you. You don't tell me what to do. Uh, so we we did it with Pepsi of all things. Um, 
do the traditions that's important to you. But uh, yeah, for a lot uh, for the next generations, they're reevaluating a lot of the traditions that maybe I hold dear, maybe that you hold dear, and they're they're remaking them into their own thing. Uh, my my own grandma's like someday, Mike. All of these little things in this curio cabinet will be yours. Oh, what? <laughs> we we I don't collect those little German angel thingy dingies, whatever, whatever they're. Uh, hummels, hummel, hummels. I don't collect hummels. Um, and someday I'll tell my children, you you all get all my baseball cards, and I know they're going in the fireplace when I die. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, Paul's talking about traditions. Uh, <laughs> And, and here's the sarcastic line. Thanks for holding on to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Because we have a problem here. We have Gentiles. We have Jewish folk coming together to become Christians. Who wins in the tradition category? Who won in your family when you got together with your spouse? Who got to get, what traditions did you keep and which ones did you, did you get away? I, my spouse, we've been together 26 years. Our biggest fight still to this day was our very first Christmas. Nothing like the birth of, of our Savior Jesus Christ to cause so much division in the family. <laughs> what, do, what does your family do? What did my family do? They were whoa different. And I just assumed that she would just carry on with my traditions and didn't work out that way. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, we had to come up with our own thing uh, to, to, make it, to make it work. Uh, but yeah, traditions, the traditions that Paul delivered to the Corinthian Christians were just simply the teachings and practices of the apostles. Now, they kept some of their old traditions. We'll get to this in a second, but what do you do with the, with, with, with the, with the hats? What do you do with the yarmulkes? What do you do with, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's going to be. And the Christian church was trying to figure out how much of this do we keep? Do we keep doing Sabbath on Saturday or do we go on Sunday? Uh, how, how, how are we going to make this work? And are we going to make something new? Uh, in a, and he, he goes into the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And Paul kind of set the foundation for the teaching for the rest of the chapter. Uh, what Paul's really trying to get to is some some form of order, some form of authority, some form of accountability. Everything comes from God, gentlemen. And 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 think about the day and age. Men and women had distinct roles. Who was in charge? Men. Women were considered. Second-class property. Do you want to go back to those days? I don't want to go back to those days. When Paul is writing this, there is there, there, that's just so much the worldview that you just couldn't get away from it. And I really think he's just making a metaphor here. Christ is head of, 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 of the family. Christ is head of the church. Christ is head. Just like... In that day and age, men was in charge of women. Uh, he, he's kind of making us an, an assembly here. I don't think Paul is saying for the rest of for time, for, uh, forever and ever, amen, men should be in charge of women, and that's the way it's going to be. I just think that's the world they lived in. 
And so he was trying to make a metaphor based, This is, it's kind of like Christ in the church. Christ is head of the church. The church is not head of Christ. I'm going to write that down. That'll preach someday. I don't get to tell Christ what to do. There are days I wish I could. I have to love who? Everybody. Uh, United Methodists, how do, how do we take this scripture? Well, like all scripture, we, we reflect on it critically in light of our biblical and theological inheritance. Uh, in, in the Bible, the creation stories tell Genesis of making God female and male in God's own image. Male and female, he created them. We're supposed to be partners, equal. And it, I try this in my own family. Uh, Steph and I, we, uh, I have veto power over her decisions, and she has veto power over my decisions, like the big ones. Her veto power seems to work better, though. But uh, uh, we try. And when we disagree, then we just, are we going to buy that car? <laughs> Uh, if she don't want to buy the car and I want to buy the car, guess what? We don't buy the car. We move move to the Northwest. If I want to move or she wants to move, we both have to figure it out, right? I just can't step in and say, this is the way it's going to be. It doesn't work like that. Uh, the Old Testament prophets speak for justice. Uh, they speak out against inequalities. They stand with the oppressed. Uh, Jesus Christ had women as friends, totally blew up the model of the day. If you read the Gospels, there's times when Mary and Martha are in the room. Not supposed to happen. They're, suppo they're supposed to be uh, in the kitchen taking care of things. Mar there's a story where Martha's like, Mary, stop listening. Mary, you're acting like a guy. Get in here and help with the kitchen. And Jesus said, uh uh. Blows up the model. Uh, now there's things that uh, I, I, I think I think I am still too close to the old model, where it's hard for me to see another way. Um, how my grandma used to say it. Uh, my grandma, who's still around, grew up on a farming family. She, I remember her lamenting: the men inherit the land and the women inherit the dishes. Yeah, but hopefully. Hopefully, you know, someday when I croak, hopefully my daughter and two sons will get equal shares, right? The Apostle Paul uh, called the people of God to create a world where the gifts of both men and women are celebrated and used. Um, out of Galatians. Uh, again, trying to blow up the model. I really think Paul is way too close to the old ways that he... Jesus tried to open it up. And Paul is taking, he is taking a step forward. He is taking a step forward, and I'll get to that in a little bit on uh, uh, where that comes to play. Uh, but we look at, we look at Scripture uh, as our primary source of theological reflection, but we also use experience, what's been our experience. We look at our tradition, what has been the, the practice of our faith for 2,000 years, and we, we look at our reason. Like, does it, does it make sense? Does this make sense? Uh, we support the full inclusion of women in every aspect of church life. Um, we work to eliminate sexism and promote the full inclusion of women in, uh, as, as pastors 
in sports, in education. It's just, just one of the things we do. Uh, and if you're a female and you feel called by God to become a pastor, let us know and we will, we will, we will talk about it. Uh, but the idea of headship and authority, that's, that's important to God. Christ is head. And Paul was just trying to share a metaphor of this is what it kind of looks like. Uh, did you get the idea? Did, you, did, you, did the head coverings make sense? Or was that confusing? I'm going to go with confusing because it was confusing to me. Dishonors the head um, because of this order of authority. It was inappropriate for men to pray under a head covering and inappropriate for women to pray without a head covering. Uh, the idea of a head covering was important uh, in this in this ancient culture. Um, if you wear if, if if you wear a head covering, it, it was a public symbol of being under the authority or protection of another. Slaves wore head covers. Uh, matter of fact, that's where probably the yarmulke came from. Is we are under the authority of of God. Uh, so if you pray without the tradition of the day, again, Paul is. Counting on the table a little bit. Uh, you all get to wear head coverings. You should not wear head coverings. You're all kind of mismashing this thing. Nowadays, 2,000 years later, we, we would wonder, why is this such a big deal? Right? Although, maybe I'm old school. I grew up in a place where you took your hat off when you walked inside the house. Or you, if you eat at a restaurant, you take off your hat. Uh, I noticed this rule is nowhere out there. Uh, nowadays, or in worship, you take off your hat, or before a prayer, you take off your hat, before Star Spangled Banner, you take off your hat. Uh, so, in, to amplify what you're saying I, as well, I I look for there are certain words in the scriptures that kind of get my attention, so to speak. And in verse 11, the word "nevertheless" is one of those words. Because when you look at the definition, and I'm probably off on that, somebody will look it up and correct me, but it's basically saying what came before is less, but what is following is more important. And although those were traditions of that day, they are not today. And I don't think we need to apply them or adhere to them because of this word nevertheless in verse 11 where it says nevertheless in the Lord women woman is in not independent of man nor man independent of woman for as a woman came from man so also man is born of woman but everything comes from God that nevertheless mitigates all this stuff yeah. previous and doesn't I don't have to I don't really pay attention to it because it doesn't apply. And I'm kind of judgy that way when I hear the word nevertheless. But it applies in most cases that I have found. And, you know, the, what's coming hereafter is that men and women need each other. There you go. And they both, you know, everything comes from the Lord. Both of them come from the Lord. Although he has a technicality in the, the way Adam and Eve came about. But that's a technicality I, I also kind of put a broad, broad brush on. Yep. Yep. 
woman came from man, woman came from man, woman came from man, and then Paul's and after the nevertheless. But man is also born out of, like, all, all you gentlemen, guess where you came out of? A woman. So if you want to get particular on who came from who, the chicken and the egg. One reason that I see this as, as, as a positive 2,000 years ago. Again, 2,000 years ago. Men in charge. Women subservient. Paul is saying, men, when you pray, this is... Women, when you pray... The fact that women are allowed in the, in the church in a day and age when the synagogue was men only, in a day and age when the Gentiles were men only, the fact that women were in, allowed to pray in the same room together, huge step forward. Does that make sense? So... Opening it up, I was in a, uh, I was in a church in the in the northeast, two two tiered church. Uh, right by the pulpit, there was a hole in the floor right here. The women were upstairs, the men were downstairs, and the preacher preached with his head somewhere right around that hole, so both sexes could get the, the service. Made me feel weird because the pastor's looking up skirts, but that, but, but the fact that they kept them separated, uh, old, old, old school. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, we were out of town. Thank you, Jen, for taking care of this. Uh, but we stayed at a place. We got a VRBO. We stayed at a place that was basically a timeshare place. I walk in. Sign up, da, 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 get the get the place because we paid for it. It's, we're not there for the timeshare spiel. To get our parking pass, we have to talk to this guy who was the timeshare guy. He's like, "Hey, would you help us out by being in a in a class?" Like, no, 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 just just give me the parking pass. My sister comes in a half hour later, and and uh, first thing the guy says, "Should your husband be here? Where's your husband?" My my sister is single as single can be. And he goes, you don't have a husband? Well, what do you make a year? Like, everyone could hear. And she said, I'm not telling questions that were not asked of me. So it's still out there, right? But I sit, I sit in a chair of privilege where I don't see it as much. Um, but I, some of you are, a couple of you are older than I am. But, uh, uh, do you remember the days when you couldn't get a credit card without your husband's signature? Yeah. Steph and I, we got married in 1997, not that long ago. Uh, our first checking account. Uh, we were putting our names on the account. And we tried to do everything counterculturally. So uh, I said, well, put her name first and then put my name. He goes, we can't do that. Uh, the, the man's name goes first and then your name, then the wife's name on the check. Does it flipping matter? It's a check. He goes, well, the computer program automatically does it. I said, well, all right. So the, ba the bank that we're going to bank at will have my wife's name first. And so, they were, so according to their bank, I was female and my wife was male. Because that's how they had to flip it on there to make them. It sounds silly, but it's just, we live in a world of patriarchy and we're trying to do everything we can 
not to. So at least for Paul, this is a step forward. Women are at least allowed to pray in the room together. Um, the hair thing, it's, it's generally true that women's hair is typically longer than the male hair. Used to. Used to, right? Not always, but I, I, I'm looking out here right now. Yeah. Have you seen your kids? There, there are exceptions. Uh, you know, I was, I was a baby in the 70s, so I missed, I missed all this for the, for the guys. Um, it'll come back eventually, but I won't have hair by then to worry about it. So there you go. I kind of get what he was saying about the word nevertheless, but I also have to balance it with verse 2 where it says, keep, keep the ordinances. Ordinances is order, is law. So it says, he says, keep the law. But I understand what he was talking about when he says nevertheless. My question, though, is on dishonors, his head in verse 4, uh, a man, if he has his head covered, dishonors his head. Doesn't say dishonors God. Doesn't say dishonors Jesus. Doesn't say dishonors the people in the church or those uh, present when he's praying or prophesying. It says dishonors his head. I don't get that. I mean... And then the same thing with the woman. You know, it dishonors her, her head and then talks about shaving her head. You know, how is that dishonored? My previous wife died of cancer and had chemo and lost all her hair. And I used to help her take a shower and, and I said, it's no big deal, you know. Yeah. So what? You don't have hair. You know, you're cuter that way. I can see more of you, you know. So I don't get the dishonor of the head, whether it's covered or not covered, or, you know, hair long or short or no hair. I don't get it. Yeah, my, my guess here is that Paul is really playing, playing a metaphor of head of household. Um, it, for a man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, dishonors his head. Not so much this head, but being head of the family or head of some. That's, that's how I, I read it. I think he's making a play, a play of words. And again, it's an old tradition that we don't see as much, but back in that day, head coverings meant stuff. Uh, social structure, social class. I go, in, I go into a, a I, I remember I walked into a bank. I was at a church. Um, we, we, were, we were short on cash, and we... we uh, the, the senior pastor says, let's go talk to this guy. He's got $100,000. And I, had a, I wore my ball cap that day. If I knew I was going to see, see, a, see a big old rich banker, I would have dressed a little differently. But uh, So we walk into his office. Guess what I do? Hat in hand. Hat in hand. This means something, right? I don't think the youngest generation knows what that means to have hat in hand. It means, please, it's a form of begging. Right? You're in charge. I'm asking. Uh, yep, yeah, all, all those all those hat rules two thousand years ago meant meant social structure. And my guess is it's a play on words of who's head of the household, who's Christ is head of the church, just like 
the male is head of the family, which you can see by head coverings. It's still confusing to my to me because I haven't lived there two thousand years ago. Who can wear a hat? Who cannot wear a hat? Because when I think of Jewish families, I think I think they do play have the hat, uh, the yarmulke. I was going to ask you that because it seems to me that those in the Jewish faith, the man has to have the yarmulke on, and the women don't wear a covering. From what I've seen. So when they go to temple and that, they always wear that yarmulke to pray before God and their shawl and all that. Is this maybe against the Jewish traditions? A, a little bit. I asked. I once asked a rabbi, so I go into this uh, synagogue, and uh, the nice thing is they have a whole basket full of yarmulkes for people like me <laughs> to come in and, and figure out how to... Put it on. And I asked, why? Why, why, why the yarmulke? And he goes, ah, ha, ha. We don't know. <laughs> but one tradition is that slaves wore, servants wore hats to prove that, to show that they were servants. They were not free people. And uh, so we wear it to show that we are not free people, but we are in service to Yahweh. How that relates to this? Because this is the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. All right, let's, let's catch the next paragraph because it also talks about hair and head coverings. 13 to 16. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace, a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it, it is her glory? It is her glory? <laughs> For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Paul speaks to those Christians who come from a, a, a Jewish environment in the Jewish community. Even men covered their heads while praying, and it was therefore inconceivable for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. Uh, their own experience taught them that women should observe the customs of the head covering when the church meets. Um, short hair was common for men. Long hair was common, common for women at the time. Uh, because of this verse, some churches have even taught that it's a sin for a man to wear his hair long, even though every picture we have of Jesus has long hair and is white, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> Uh, but long hair can, by itself can be no sin. Paul had long hair for, for a time in Corinth as part of a vow. He made a vow at Acts chapter 18 where he didn't cut his hair for a year. Um, but the vow meant something because long hair was not the norm. Uh, that's what Paul was getting at there. Uh, it's true. For, Deuteronomy chapter 22 says that it's wrong for a man to take the, the appearance of a woman. That includes hair. But again, uh, rules of 2,000 years ago. Uh, I had someone once tell me it's, it's far better for, for preachers to be concerned about the length of their sermons instead of the length of people's hair. Mm -hmm. Long, longer hair, longer sermons, long, short hair, short, I don't know what's... 
I, I love the line, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we, we have no custom. Like, we're starting something new. This is the church. Uh, Jesus is starting a new, a new thing. Maybe he just wanted to reform Judaism, but Judaism wouldn't reform, and so a new thing is coming to birth. Uh, if anyone wants to buy it, why are we fighting about this? We have no such custom, even though we talked about traditions of before. But it's, it, 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 it. no, there's more, there's, there's bigger, there's bigger things to worry about than the length of hair. Bigger things to worry about whether someone wears a hat while they pray. And in Paul's mind, Jesus is coming back tomorrow anyway, so let's just, let's just pray. All right, so we're going to go from hair, and who's in charge of the family, uh, to an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Uh, this whole chapter is actually about worship. Um, uh, Christ is head of the church. What, what can you wear in worship? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but now let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Let's do 17, 17 to 26. Correcting, the abuse, correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. To some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be difficulties among you to show you which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have any homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the Church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul already spoke of the problems of divisions amongst the Corinthian Christians. Uh, here, here it's a little more theological and a little more uh, practical when it comes to worship. Uh, it, it's, it's coming out during their gatherings. Uh, so we have communion. There's another practice out there that uh, everyone comes together for, for food and for fellowship. And uh, any idea what they call that thing? Pentecost. Uh, anyone ever hear the phrase love feast? Anyone ever have churches that did love feasts? We Methodists really don't do love feasts a whole lot. We do potlucks. Potlucks. We, food comes, and it is just fellowship, food, we, we got a potluck coming up, I know, in, uh, in about a month and a uh, month and a half. Uh, for Christmas, we'll have a Christmas potluck. Bring in food and, and, and enjoy. Half of what he's talking about here is during these events. 
during a love feast. Everyone brings their food. Everyone shares. In the divisions of the church, however, uh, (laughs) some of the richer folk would have their food. This is our food. You have your food. We're going to eat our food. And matter of fact, we might even start before you, before everyone gets here. And and we are just, it's, it's going to be, this is your table, that's your table, this is, mm-hmm. at, at one church I had, we had, uh, we had a Wednesday night meal, and we had about, uh, we had about 40 to 50 people show up for this thing. But I remember looking out in this table of, uh, and they were like, we're the, we are, we are a loving, welcoming church. We're a loving, welcoming church. And this, this table had eight people and had one person over here who was new. And these people who had, who had known each other for years, they wanted to see each other. And I love that. And God bless them. And then someone else would show up that was a part of their group and they would expand their circle. And their whole table, I looked out there and their whole table had like 12 people and they were like, everyone was like two feet back so they could all fit in. But the single mom over here who was brand new. Can someone please invite her over? It's like, well, we don't know her. That's the idea. That is. Do you know how? Do you know how you get to know someone? Fight them in. Um, if someone's sitting in your pew, hey, can I? I would love to sit with you and worship. You must be new here because this is my chair. But I would love to sit with you and and take you out to lunch afterwards. Something like that, right? Uh, and he he just goes sarcastic on him. Don't you have homes to eat and drink? This is all about food, fellowship, and 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 faith and fun and. You're, you're turning it into a us versus them sort of thing. Shall I praise you for this? No. No, you're, you're missing the point of a potluck. Uh, going back to tradition, one of the traditions I'm still trying to teach my kids is you have to wait till everyone gets their food at the table before you can dig in. Uh, it's one of the traditions that's gone. Uh, again, for right or wrong, but... You get your food, and you start eating, and like grandma is down here at the corner still waiting for the food to come by at Thanksgiving. Wait. Just wait. Right? Um, I don't know if that's still a rule out there or not, but that's one thing we're still trying to teach our kids. Oh, and whoever cooks, whoever cooks has to eat last. That that was one of our rules. That way the the chef made sure that there was enough food (laughs) to be out there. I think in some some traditions that's that's still out there that the I knew I, uh, my uh, uh, grandpa in the Navy said that when he was on KP duty they had to eat last uh, because uh, if you eat first then you got the good food and you left everything else for the schlups but uh, if you got to eat last you made sure all the food was good <laughs> and there was enough. In Russia, they always say. Oh, you don't take the last of anything because Grandma would be unsalted, and she didn't put enough food in the ha- in the kitchen. So you don't ever take the last of anything. It's kind of fun when cultures smash together. It is a lot of fun to watch when you take a napkin and you cut it in four pieces. Oh yes. Why would you take a napkin and cut it in four economy, pieces? Economy, economy. Yes. Don't waste. That's right. Don't waste. It was so much fun to take a trip and go to Russia and watch the way the little old ladies 
did things. So yes, you never take the last bite. That's the thing. In some cultures, if, if, if you leave food on the table, it means you were satisfied. Mm-hmm. In some cultures, if you don't eat everything, it means you didn't like it. That's right. And I think it's China that you take everything. And so you put these two together. and. <laughs> so if I told my grandma, if I told my grandma, she comes, come on in, grandma, come on in. Let me make you something. And no matter what, I, I had to walk out with food. There was no other way around it. Uh, so if you wanted just a, a, a little bit, or if you wanted some food, you just say just a little bit. Funk, here's a whole lot of food. And if you wanted just a tiny bit, you'd say just, just this much. And she'd, you know, thunk. And if you didn't want any food at all, you, you'd have to kill her. Because you couldn't get out of there without, without food. I know, you don't, you don't insult grandma. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then it moves into the Lord's Supper. And this is where we actually get a lot of the words for, for the institution that we do for communion. We don't get it from the words of Jesus. We get it from, from Paul here. Uh, this is the cup in the New Covenant. Granted, John, the Gospel of John has the same words, but we, we, uh, we get the Eucharist later liturgy straight out of 1 Corinthians here. All right, let's do verse 27 to the end in the time that we have. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why so many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Paul warns the Corinthian Christians to treat the Lord's Supper with reverence and to practice it in a spirit of self-examination. Uh, it's, it's not with the thought of excluding others from the table, but just preparing ourselves with the right heart. Uh, in the Catholic Church, you need to take confession before you can take communion, or at least have confession within a certain amount of time so you didn't, like, big-time sin before receiving the, the, the bread and cup. Um, in the uh, in in the full liturgy that we do once a year, uh, here there's a there's a prayer of confession in there, uh, so we're ready ready to go to to take to take the bread and take the take the cup. Um, truth be told, in a in a good good uh, Puritan sense that we uh, kind of believe, uh, none of us are worthy of what Jesus gave, and uh, so we take it with with that with that sense of grace. Uh, for this reason, many are weak, weak and sick among you, um, and many sleep, i.e., what do you think sleep means in this case? 
did. Uh, it doesn't say how or what. Uh, it, it almost alludes to you, you messed up the Lord's communion, so, so some of you didn't make it to the next Sunday. Um, we don't know what that means or how that happened. Uh, we don't think God would kill anyone because they took communion in, in, in such a way. Uh, but chances are chance, fate, disease, pestilence happens to us all and uh, that, that made it in here. Uh, wait for one another. There we go. It's not just good manners. It shows love towards others. And I love eat together. Um, unless you need still that grandkid table at the, uh, in the other room at Thanksgiving. Uh, last year, I, I said I still have both my grandmas. I still have one grandma. Uh, and, and now that, that grandma's gone, I think, I think I get to move up to the big people table now. Uh, the, the, way, the way it works. But the whole idea of, of, of this is just communion. Communion. C-O-M, right? Communion. Give me another word that starts with C-O-M. Community. Together. Common. Together. Compassion. C uh, compassion. Together love, right? Compassion. Comfort. Caring for each other. C-O-M always means Together. Not every word works that way, but if you go through the dictionary, most of them do. It means community, together. This is the, we have communion. All right, I will take communion over here, and you will take communion over there, and we will not talk. It's not exactly communion. Yeah. It's one of the things I love about the Methodist Church, by the way, is, uh, is that open table. Man, if, if they'll let me in, they'll let anybody in. Uh, but it's welcome. I've taken communion to jail. I've taken communion to people that I don't, I, I, I wish they weren't here on this planet anymore. In the Lord, we're together. And that's my own judginess that comes out. So that's it's a good reminder of the from the Lord. Yes, sir. My experience working with army chaplains was that uh, there's plenty of churches that got lots of rules surrounding communion. That if you're not your tithe isn't paid up, if you're not a member in good standing, whatever that meant, usually uh, something the uh, official board made up, you know. Uh, then you couldn't take communion. There was just lots and lots of prohibitions. Only the only the righteous got to take it. And so we Methodists actually are relatively unique in this open table concept. But I'm with you. I like it. Here, help me out. You're a Methodist pastor. Someone asked me this, and I and I said uh, gave my answer. Uh, do you have to be baptized to take communion? Not in the Methodist Church, but there are plenty of other Protestant denominations, as well as you pointed out, the Roman Catholic Church. That's kind of what I explained. I said we yeah. have, it's 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 an open table. You go, well, how do they know what communion is if they have, if they're not baptized or not even in the in the in the faith yet? And I said, you know what? I let my two-year-old come to Thanksgiving dinner, even if they didn't know about pilgrims yet, because it's all about community and growing it as a family, and they will learn the traditions as we as we go on. 
we were a large family. My grandfather had 28 grandkids. So it was his birthday in the summertime, and so we would all gather at the, somebody's house, about 60 people, and one of the grandkids would come around to the head of the whoever was hosting and say, well, when's Grandpa going to read his plate? Meaning that Grandpa had to say blessing before the whole, and there, there would be grandkids, great-grandkids, cousins, everybody, family or not, came. But Grandpa had to say his plate before you got to start. Yeah, he had to read from the food. <laughs> well, whatever traditions that you have, if they mean something to you, keep them. If they don't mean something to you, we're a new creation in the Lord. Uh, you, you get to create the next tradition for the next generation. And uh, may we still go, though, with the love, the care, the mercy, and the grace. Some things never go out of style. And the family of God said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming down today.